trying to have a really good speaking voice like Glenn. I'm jealous of that dude's speaking voice. I sound like shit. Hello? Welcome to Agitator. Hi everybody, welcome to Agitator. Today on the show we're talking about 1997's Cure, directed by Kibuyashi Kurosawa, starring my guy from Audition, Can't Catch a Break, gets his foot cut off, gets uh, his mind infiltrated by the uh, weird mesmerist, hypnotist. Uh, I'm J. David Osborne, that's Kelby Losak. What's up, Kelby? What you doing? Hey, I thought that dude was a uh, Jackie Chan mm-hmm. when I first. I knew, I knew, I recognized him, mm-hmm. and I was like, mm-hmm. different, different, yeah, this, completely uh, different nationality. But yeah, yeah. He's, I mean, I know that Jackie Chan is Chinese, but I was just like, I mean, is that is that my boy Jackie? Jackie Chan is one of those dudes who is not giving his money to his kids. I think he's giving it to the government or something. He's like, I want my kids to work for what they have, which fine, fair. I, I want the same exact thing, but I would uh, see what I'm. What I'm gonna do is play like a game with my kids. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure they grow up right, and then I'm gonna give them just this like enormous stash of money. I'm gonna. What I'm gonna do is I'm going to when Gus turns 18, I'm gonna give him half of his money, right? I'm going to hold the other half of the money for five years and I'm, we're going to outline a plan for for him to pursue whatever whatever he wants to do at 18. He wants to be a professional skateboarder. That's fine. If he wants something more, you know, normie, pedestrian, that's all fine too. Whatever his interests are. And I'm going to be like, okay, in five years, if you... <laughs> He's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. If, <laughs> he has something to say. I'm not sure that. if he likes his plan, but I'm gonna be like, in five years, you, you get the other. <laughs> no. You get the other half. And the idea would be that, let's say, he wanted to sell shoes or something. If he builds a, a shoe company with the money that I give him, he 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 might not even he might not even need that second half, so I get to keep it. You know what I'm saying? He's like, no, man. Yeah, there like, you go. I'm good. I'm good. I worked and I worked and I worked because I knew there was this pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And, uh, and now I don't even need it. So really it's, I have this conversation with a few friends who have sons and uh, some of them have money, some of them don't. But the, the, pe- the friends of mine who have money, who have sons, like you just, you don't want your kid to be a fail son, you know? No, no, absolutely not. I've seen it over and over. It is the biggest goal in my entire life. Yeah. More than me being successful, I will not fuck this kid up. Like, he's not going to be... He's going to think that we're poor when we're making bank. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's going to just not understand where the boat in the backyard came from. I used to wonder where the boat in my uncle's backyard came from. I was like, well, aren't those expensive? He had a nice boat, too. And yeah, it turned out he had, he that had is, a lot of money. <clears throat> some some people got really crazy priorities. And poor people end up with boats too. I mean, I don't... True. There's a house right down the road from us that had like two sports yachts in the front yard. And if, you, if you've seen where I live, I live in the city. So it's like in the city, this dude's got two sports, yard, sports yachts in the front yard. Mm-hmm. And it's like a quarter of an acre of a lot 
so his boats are bigger than his house. That's fucking awesome. And he's got like, there's like at least twelve kids who live there, and like three different dudes. And every once in a while, I see a chick. So I'm not really sure what the whole dynamic is, but there's a ton of these people. As soon as they moved in, the day they moved in, they set up their three different cast iron grills mm-hmm. and put up two different playhouses mm-hmm. and blew up the inflatable pool. And it's been like that with the boat. The boats left somewhere, I guess. They might have money. They, they Sounds might. like they're doing a little bit of uh, sex trafficking. Sounds like they're they're boating these kids in from Cuba. And this is the halfway house before they get sent to... Uh, wealthy uh, oligarchs i think there's maybe a li- the halfway yeah it's like it's yeah. where they say they play in the pool and they feel like you know hey america's pretty cool but you know then it takes a dark turn later you know it's like getting them out anyway that's why i have guns yeah exactly you never know you never know start fighting with people online again about fucking it's like what is this, is this 2013 again i'm having flashbacks every once in a while riders decide to be gay and they're like guns are stupid mm-hmm. i'm like your face is stupid you don't know what the fuck you're talking about wait writers are there other writers besides us no no i was just making shit up i thought so i felt like i got dropped into the twilight zone where we live in this world where there are writers i'm seeing it now i'm seeing it now they have a community right yeah I think I've heard this story before. There's a writing community, and they, uh, what do they do again? They write, like, they write books that nobody reads? One. They'll, they'll each write one write that one. nobody reads. Yeah, yeah. And then uh, mm-hmm. act like supreme authority of the opinion of the day. Right, right, right. And I, I remember this now. And they're, they're ostensibly supposed to be artists, but they have, a, like, a really strange code of morality. So you can't... That moral code that never extends to the projects. So I don't give a fuck. Yeah, that's true. Gay is okay, but, you know, if you're poor and and we can get you on, like, you like guns or something, then you're a piece of shit. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that would be terrible if we were beholden to that kind of community at all. I don't think I would like that very That'd much. That'd be the worst. I feel like I would feel no. a little bit trapped in that. I feel like I would feel like I couldn't say any. You know what's really funny is that once you feel free to say whatever you want, you you stop saying fucked up shit. At least that's been the case for me. Because now it's like, oh, fuck, I can say anything I want now. And I just kind of don't. Turns out I don't really care. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm not even sure what. Because you feel free to, to just say whatever. Yeah. So you're like, I don't know what I was saying that was so fucked up. Because to begin with... Which is why that kind of community would be such a such prison if it existed. If it existed, yeah. Uh, that'd be that'd be hell because you wouldn't know what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, you're like, I was just talking. I didn't realize that y'all had all these complicated codes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the comics code. Remember the comics code? Everything had to be up to the comics code standards. I think that went away, but I used to remember that every issue of ninja turtles would have this has been approved by the comics code of america oh yeah yeah everything's got those ratings yeah which are really just i mean honestly dude they're just advertisements that parental advisory sticker i would be like oh Oh, i want to start putting that on like all my all my books the parental advisory sticker that would be hilarious (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm just picturing somebody uh, with like a copy of Letting Out the Devil's 35-year-old man. He's like, Mom, now I know it's got the sticker on it, but I heard that it was just a sticker because it has a few Fs in it. Is that okay? And their mom is like, mm, let me take a look. Let me take a look. Flipping through the pages, and they're like, yeah, I guess I can buy this one for you. And they're like, yes! Yes! She skipped the pages that had the N-word somehow. Somehow. That's like it's like playing Minesweeper, bro. I mean, that's... That's uh, you're more like you're yeah. more likely to, to win a game of Minesweeper blind than flip through letting out. That's the becoming revisionist for all of my. I'm seeing a real time revisionist history of my place in the. Now that I'm outside the circle and don't pay any of these faggots any attention mm-hmm. and don't respond to their DMs or anything, mm-hmm. they're like doing this revisionism where like, bro, I didn't go crazy different than what i was doing three books before that and all of a sudden it's like but this kind of struck me as odd it was kind of weird to read the random sex scenes and the n-words i hope it's an african-american character like nigga is clearly part of the joke in the book is that he's white mm-hmm. yeah it's very it's, extre- <laughs> like, it's that's clearly clear. spelled out yeah, it's clearly spelled out right well you know people get brain worms dude i mean it just the more i see of the of the internet the more i look i look at it as a kind of sort of like where uh our our hero in cure like where his wife goes to you know like I, I actually see in the movie cure i see a lot of these online people because they can't remember anything right it's like they're they're brand new fresh every day and um but you know honestly it's not i don't think it's a function of being online i think it's just how human beings are i think that a lot of people lack a solid uh not moral maybe moral is the best word that i can come up with now but a, a moral code of their own by which they principles right that's the word i was looking for having principles by which you can judge uh whether something's good or bad that don't change day to day uh that's really i think what we see when we look at the internet is that nobody really has principles they have they have people who they listen to and those people don't have any fucking principles because usually when you get to that influencer stage you're just trying to get clicks and then that trickles down to a bunch of people who really have no coherent ideology at all. It's just sort of the, the thing of the day. I have no idea what the thing of the day is today. I didn't know what it was yesterday. I didn't know what it was the day before that. I did know what it was the day before that. <clears throat> because it was uh, uh, just sort of everywhere. And people email me about this shit. Stop emailing me about lit world controversies i don't know what a lit world is i have no idea what you're talking about that's my version of cure is that i i looked into the little zippo lighter light and i fucking i meant and blacked myself i black i blacked myself (laughs) i went out and got blacked you know (laughs) and and now i now i don't know I i just i don't know i don't know what a hobart is bro what the fuck is a hobart (laughs) <laughs> they said it to me they said that to me by the way this is all i'll say about it they said it to me and i like i looked at it and i scrolled i read like two paragraphs and i scrolled and you know like when you scroll on a page 
and it's like a super long article and you notice that the the scroll bar is moving real slow when you're when you're scrolling mm-hmm. i noticed mm-hmm. that scroll bar moving real slow so i dragged it all the way to the bottom and i was like yo i'm not reading this shit you gotta you gotta be crazy but that's all i'll say about it's so that. stupid my, my my critique of the whole hobart thing too long way too long i don't know who that guy is i don't know what he's it's... talking about that's cool i like that like uh yeah, I'd like to have a conversation with Elizabeth Ellen that goes for however long ten thousand words well, the, takes. The thing is, is that Elizabeth Ellen is a is an actual good writer. That's that's all I know about this. I'm like, oh, a good writer is talking to somebody, but that's way too long. So I don't know. It's just more of the same. We've never figured out why you can say whatever on this podcast, and some people from the lit world, because I don't know if you know we're talking shit about you then you'll listen but i don't think writers listen to the show no uh but we have a ton of other listeners hold on wait wait what's what's wrong nothing's changed nothing's different from five minutes ago he's in the moment he has no <laughs> he has no frame of concept of the his, the personal uh, history so, so 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 right 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 yeah that's true he's that's true. he's walking around like a like what's his name Oh, shout shouts out to the people who have an issue with we don't know who these people's names are. We don't give a shit. <laughs> I don't give a flying fuck what this Japanese person's name is. Welcome to the to the oh. ultimate authority on Japanese cinema. I don't give a fuck what these Japanese idol. Oh, they're famous. Okay, who cares? Right. You ever heard of Christian Bale? I ain't gonna start a podcast talking about everything he does. Yeah. No. It's all it's a it's a different culture and we we like the um we just like the movies but in this movie uh the cop is takabe and the the hannibal lecter serial killer is uh mamia 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 oh yeah 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 no that was that was a good that was a good name it's one of those movies too where like you find out uh like you kind of know it's great the intrigue of it like the tension of it is great because it's not about who's the killer you know right off the bat like once you come across this weirdo who's like i don't i don't know who i am and then he's like so tell me about your wife it's like oh, this nigga's the killer yeah, yeah but yeah, yeah, yeah it's all in the like why and the how right it's like how is he like hypnotizing I love how the logic of it, it invents its own logic and just sticks to it. Like in a movie that's about being a detective, we're following a detective who's trying to put the pieces together. He's trying to understand, but we're not really getting a lot of explanation, right? Like, right, right. We don't get a lot of, it stays in the dream of just being like, I buy that he's hypnotizing him with this lighter somehow because I don't know how. Like, I don't know how he's doing it. So this is coming at a time when a lot of these serial killer movies were super popular. Started by Silence of the Lambs. I want to say, did I think Seven came out the same year as this. So this was kind of a, a craze at the time. Uh, right? 95. Oh, seven, 95. Seven was 95. Okay, right on. Right on. So that actually makes more sense then because Seven had blown up and people were doing all these thrillers about twisted serial killers who play games with the cops who are trying to chase them and you know the cop gets in too deep and 
usually doesn't end up well for them. So in this movie, there are a series of seemingly random killings that all share the same MO, which is that someone will kill someone. In this case, there's a prostitute who gets killed, another guy kills his wife, another guy kills uh, the cop, kills his partner in the police box. But after they're dead, they carve an X into their throat. And it's driving Takabe crazy because it's the exact same thing. And, you know, he's trying to find out from the suspects, did you watch a certain movie or read a book where this was the thing? And <laughs> I like how that's the first place he goes. He's like, did you watch, uh, did you watch Seven? Yeah, did right, you exactly. Did you, watch, did you watch that new Dahmer documentary? Did you watch the Dahmer documentary? So he can't figure it out. And there, are, everybody essentially says to him, I don't know why I did it. It just felt like the most natural thing in the world, which leads to some chilling scenes of, of killing because there's something that Kurosawa does in this movie is that there's a lot of really long shots without any flourishing. And so you just kind of see people kill other people extremely casually. Uh, you know, they'll just be going to like the, the two cops, right? One cop uh-huh. goes like, all right, well, I'm going to go out on my rounds. The other cop's like, okay, cool. Yeah, bet. He's like taking the trash out. He puts the trash in the dumpster and just walks up behind the other guy and caps him in the back of the head. And you're like, oh, Jesus, what the fuck? Which by that point in the movie. Broad daylight. Yeah, too. broad daylight. And you, you, you know it's coming, right? Because he talked to mm-hmm. this guy. But what, the, what Mamiya does is that he, he's either pretending to not remember anything, which is what I think is but He's using this method where he seems like he's lost. And anytime people ask him a question, he asks them a question instead. So they'll say, hey, what's your name? And he'll be like, what? I'll be like, your name. It's like, whose name? Your name. Where am I? You're blah, 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 blah. He's like, huh? Who are you? I'm this. What? And he just, he keeps doing, and sometimes people get really, fru- usually they get really frustrated because obviously that would be a hor- like a horrible way to communicate with a human being. But somehow uh-huh. through this process, he's breaking down their psychic defenses and then he'll either you know flick a lighter knock a cup of water over and then from there we sort of don't know what he does exactly there's one particular victim of his who's a surge like she's not a surgeon she's a just a doctor like a general practitioner and he's he talks to her about how you know you were a, a woman and women are less than men that's what that's what they all told you, but what you really want to do is cut up a man. So that's the closest we get to seeing his magical hypnotist powers, but there's there's a heavy occult element to what he's doing too, and he might be, I don't know, some kind of malevolent spirit that's inhabited this dude's body, but I'll stop there. Yeah, they get into the occultism at the end too, where they're like, actually some like the mesmer was this guy who was practicing um alchemy and uh was involved in the occultist arts and it go yeah it goes deeper it takes the science route it takes the psychiatry route and it takes the occult route and it still maintains the sort of like so who is this guy mm-hmm. <laughs> is he like the devil <laughs> or right and uh i just really liked the the patient tone of this movie 
I liked that the shots were long. It it's mesmerizing. Exactly. The movie yeah, is you mesmerizing go. you mm-hmm. as they are being mesmerized, and how you do that is like don't. Uh, I think a lot of shit talk about art house horror that comes from horror fans is because it doesn't give them the feeling it feels too pretty mm-hmm. it doesn't give them the feeling that they want from horror movies and it's kind of the same with this if this was like a ton of close-ups and fancy shots now the composition and the blocking is impeccable the framing is immaculate it's not annoyingly autistic like wes anderson movies but it is like it's beautifully shot but it's far away constantly mm. you rarely until you know except for when you're up against the lighter or if you're like there's one scene where he at, he's asking who are you mm-hmm. and it does suddenly cut to close-up of him asking that mm-hmm. and it's like it's jarring when you get that closeness it's like all of a sudden like whoa why are you right in my face now so i think the the like the long shots are actually uh i guess that's all i had to say about it but i wanted to bring that up like what this movie actually looks like yeah yeah lends a lot to how the sort of trance it puts you in like how that's pulled off is because it it stays back throughout most of the movie Mm -hmm. and like you said the blocking is perfect and it goes to our theory that something that makes movies interesting is watching human beings perform something skillful it's the exact same as watching sports or professional skateboarding which is interesting because you're you're seeing human beings do something that you might not be able to do and some of the scenes just the conversation between sakuma the police psychologist and takabe on that rooftop where the camera's kind of following them back and forth and then one of them will walk off camera and the other guy will walk into the center of the frame and then the camera follows them are just really fun to watch because you're like oh damn he's really doing it he's he's got this whole thing fluid and you can tell that it was planned one of my favorite close-ups one of the not the first but one of the one of the first was when uh mamiya is being interrogated by takabe and they're sitting close to each other and they each get a close-up shot where you can see half the other person's like the back of their head in the frame mm-hmm. that's covering up the other mm-hmm. person's half of the other person half of their face and i'm like ah, i see what he's doing there they're melding minds yeah. he's he's, tra- he's yeah. transferring the demon energy into the cop but it's so subtle that you'd miss it if you weren't a movie detective or you know really really on my <laughs> i know that's a and that's b I'm kind of doing the podcast and also we're, we're sort of learning our alphabet at the same time. So we, ha- yeah, we're, we're trying to get smarter because apparently we're retarded. I, you know what? I'm not anymore. I'm out of that phase. I'm actually a genius now. <laughs> no, I was listening to Rick Rubin somebody who I've always thought of as, uh, not necessarily, I don't think intelligent would have been the first thing that came to mind, but I have always thought of him as a genius and definitely Ooh, interesting, eating the carrot. but uh, listening to him on Joe Rogan, he was basically talking about how he's retarded mm-hmm. uh, and just kind of fumbled his way into bringing the club sound of hip-hop to the studio because he was like, you know, the, you can listen to it 
and when it's on a record it's like they don't get it they think it has to be cleaned up with a band and whatever like that's how you're supposed to make records but in the club the element there is the dj who's taking pre-recorded samples and like scratching the record and using the drum machine he was like the drum machine is the music of hip-hop and uh I was like, that's that is d- 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 for and the, his whole his whole story is just like fumbling his way up, you know. He's like, every everything I've ever been into was an accident, and I'm like, you know what? That's us, pretty much. Like that's yeah. the retard method we're talking about. It's not that we're retarded; it's that you know we kind of are, but we're but we're geniuses. Yeah, and it's picking, it's trusting that you have taste in things that other people do because there's a Rick Rubin out there for harsh noise and nobody knows who that person is. Somebody who was at the ground zero, the first harsh noise show where somebody was, you know, hitting a trash can like the Slipknot Clown and <clears throat> just turning up static really loud and someone was in that audience and thought this is my shit. This is the and they were the first one to ever think that and they approached the artist and they said, I want to start a tape company and put out this, this, and this. And then that shit just didn't go anywhere because harsh noise isn't palatable to a mass of people. So Ruben is this great... I think I love examples like this that are just realistic, that give you realistic expectations. And a key part of his whole success was, like you said, just he was in the right place at the right time. He was one of 20 people who would go to a club in Manhattan and listen to, you know, DJ Cool Herc and Cool Modi and see the like, kind of the invention of this. And then he had the idea, like you said, to uh, to translate that sound onto records. It doesn't take away the fact that Rick Rubin is a genius. He's produced some of my favorite albums, like the Deloused and the Comatorium, the Mars Volta. Uh, he did, mm-hmm. uh, was it? Subliminal Verses, I think, was the Slipknot album he did. Um, I think that you know, Ninety Nine Problems is one of the best beats ever. It just, it still, it still hits. It's a classic, right? And then he did everything. And from, he like, does have ear, right? Yeah. Like he has the just the when he was talking about Aerosmith mm-hmm. being one of the first examples of, or he didn't say that they were like the first example, but he said to in order to explain to like studio people he used aerosmith as the example of like the musicality of rap Mm -hmm. that like and he was like and there's no melody to like walk this way he's doing the Mm -hmm. like like that's rapping yeah i think i just i think i just mimicked queen but i don't really i don't remember aerosmith but you know yeah, I'm yeah, also exactly. A like genius. that's not that's not melody. I think that was in that was in the perfect key of C. Now, uh, and basically he came to that again. It wasn't really his idea because these hip hop DJs in these clubs were using the first four bars of "Walk This Way," just that drum beat, and they were looping it. Basically, they were just looping that. So mm-hmm. again, he. He's somebody who is able to observe, find out what's cool about something, and then bring that out, which is what I do in my editing. You know, I don't, I don't have, to, I don't have to change everything. I'm not trying to make every book sound like a J. David Osborne book. That would be boring. But I'm good at what, at knowing what makes something good, and knowing what doesn't make it good. But 
we talking about? Oh yeah, Cure. So with uh, with this movie, I think that what I like the best is that it belongs to that genre of you know patient police procedural that just goes nuts in the last 10 minutes and like no matter because i knew it was going to do this i didn't do any reading on the movie beforehand i'd only seen the cover but you know right from like you can just tell like this shit's going to go off the rails in the last 10 minutes so i was watching that thing like the zapruder film looking for clues i'm like I'm, i'm piecing together how this world works so i can be prepared for when it goes full um you know maniac and there's nothing you can do. There's literally nothing you can do. It's uh, it's abstract and tonal and quote unquote doesn't make any sense. But I loved it. I love just knowing that there's a car crash coming and you, there's nothing you can do to get out of it. And it comes like a car crash too. Mm-hmm. It's just all of a sudden he's investigating. He's in that like... uh. Was he in the factory where the dude worked at like a like a smelting factory or something? Yeah, it's kind of like the, like up in the room. Yeah, it's like the cheap the the uber cheap housing. He was living in like a junkyard, like a scrapyard or something like that, with like a yeah. And he found the like monkey. I felt so bad for that like monkey, a, even in the context of filming gosh. filming the movie, because they got a real monkey to put in this tiny ass little cage. I I genuinely fell for that monkey. It's, yeah, it's unnerving, and it's all, uh, it's all of a sudden, it's all at once. You get that horrific imagery, and then you also, that's the moment whenever it just cuts to these false memories. Mm-hmm. Just cuts. Yeah. There's no fade. There's no, like, he doesn't even leave the room. Right. It cuts to these false memories, and then it cuts back to him there, and he's like, what the fuck? Yeah. And you're like, wait, what? Then all of a sudden you're like how much of this has been real but it doesn't do that thing no. where it explains like oh this was fake or this was you don't know and you also don't know if it's it, it's just jarring and then when he's sitting alone at the very end at the restaurant by himself mm-hmm. and his wife doesn't show up you're like oh fuck and then you see that but you see that flash of like this silent hill corpse thing Remember that where it's like on the rolling gurney oh, yeah, 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 thing? Yeah. I think that was supposed to be his mm-hmm. wife, but again, I think yeah you, yeah, you don't know like okay, but what, what, like what's going? Is this because he's had he's had he has a flash of where he thinks that she's hung herself or hanged herself, but she's really okay because his wife has memory problems as well, and he takes care of her. And there's a great scene where he's talking to Mamia, which is like a play. It feels like a play. It's like a five minute scene with no cuts where Mamiya gets it out of him that he loves his wife and he loves taking care of her, but he also hates his wife and hates taking care of her, uh, which is, I think, what makes it so that he can't get hypnotized the way that other people do. Because there's this line, right? There's this line that uh, Sakuma says, and he's like, you know, people can't be hypnotized to do things that are against their morals, right? So basically... Takabe is coming to terms with how he actually feels about his wife and he's he's admitting all the the morally fucked up complicated shit that's in his head and so he has not he's not repressing anything so there's nothing to come to the surface when Mamiya makes him look at the lighter right and then he he maybe hypnotizes 
himself or maybe it's it's the cleansing of because there's fire but then there's water mm-hmm. like he doesn't always hypnotize with a lighter and right That's the fire cool. and water thing is the classic good and evil mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and so he's his hypnosis is like a purification because he's trying to hypnotize mamia but then the sprinklers come on or does it rain I was a little bit confused. It was, uh, it was, was like, rain. is there a hole in the ceiling? Yeah, there's a hole in the or... ceiling, and it's raining. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, there's a hole in the ceiling, and it, like, rains and puts out the lighter. And then the flow of the water, which is hypnotizing, they linger on the water mm-hmm. so that you, as the viewer, are also, like, kind of just staring there at mm-hmm. it and drooling. Mm-hmm. And then that's when he's kind of like, my turn. Oh, dude, you just unlocked something in my brain. Oh, you weren't done. Go ahead. Sorry. I, I mean, I, I was just going to reiterate. So it's kind of like a, I don't know, some kind of purification metaphor there. Dude, so the water is part of the hypnotism, right? Because I'm trying to think towards the end. So there's a great scene at the end where he meets up, maybe in a dream world, maybe in real life, with Mamiya at this old abandoned uh, warehouse thing, shack, something. Uh-huh. And uh, it's just this fantastic scene where Mamiya starts talking and you can tell he's about to do his uh, his whole song and dance. By this point in the movie, we're like, oh, here he goes again. He's going to start doing... And Takabe just sh- fucking shoots him. Just like takes out his gun real casual and just shoots him. Almost like this... Oh, man. The pieces are falling together in, in real time, folks. He shoots Mamiya the way that a hypnotized person would, Right? Like, there's nothing dramatic about it. He just takes the gun out, boom, boom, right? And then the Mamiya tries to do that X in the air uh, hypnotism uh-huh. move. He shoots him again. That's a great shot, too, of his bloody hand. And he shoots him in the face like a million times. Yeah, he's like, he makes sure that there's nothing really left of that. But then he goes back to listen to this creepy recording on this gramophone. And what does he do? He walks through like a puddle of water, right? And I don't know... This is this is like the brain in real time figuring trying to figure this shit out. So, for context, because I don't know if listeners have any idea what I'm talking. Basically, just go watch Cure and then listen to this episode. Uh, but there's something to the. Oh yeah, and shouts out, uh, shouts out Matt for allowing us to. Oh yeah, thank you for Matt. helping us watch this. Yeah, thanks for your Criterion password. We appreciate that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but. Uh, I wasn't going to say exactly how, but... <laughs> oh, is that bad? Is it bad to... Nobody knows who Matt is. Like, Criterion's not going to be like, Matt, who, Matt, Matt, Matt. Nah. And oh, we can cut that yeah, if you want. That's fine. Um, I don't care. I'm not doing all that. Yeah. I was going to say, because I, I was going to ask if you wanted to take over the editing of this one, and which is, we know is just like, we're not, we're not cutting anything. Which means I'm cutting nothing. Cutting nothing! The episode comes out tomorrow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just dropped that shit. Hey, don't eat your book, bro. Hey, don't eat that book. Uh-uh, uh-uh, don't chew on the book. We read books, we don't chew on them. Come here. Uh-uh, no, 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 no. No eating books. Books are for reading. They're not food. Are you hungry? You want some snacks? So anyway, back back to this ending, right? I mean, he's meeting Mamiya at this warehouse where Sakuma went before he went nuts, right? It's like this kind of dreamy spot that you get guided to. He kills Mamiya almost in a fugue state, or if not a fugue state, with that same casualness that the other murderers do their murders. And then he walks through this like water, which 
leads to the last scene where he's in a diner and there's a famous last shot of the waitress who like t- she takes his empty plate and he lights a cigarette and is drinking coffee and she like hyper casually picks up this knife off a table and starts walking very determinedly somewhere hey stop don't this is how wild my house is dude i'm in the middle of talking and my geriatric dog just right in front of me just starts taking a piss on the floor this shit is crazy, bro. <laughs> she she's like hypnotized by water, huh? Dude, yeah. Well, the thing is, like, with the dog, I love this dog. Like, we got this dog from a puppy, so I have a lot of uh, a lot of time. Get my paper towels out. I have a lot of time for the dog. Uh, patience is the wrong word, but just like you know, I'm not I'm not gonna kill you unless it looks like you're in pain. So she's not she's not in pain, but she's got dementia so bad she'll just we'll catch her sometimes and she'll be they call it sundowning where she's just like staring at a wall or something and part of how this thing manifests is that you know at 15 almost 16 years old if i'm not if i'm not paying close attention to her at all times like she'll just just kind of piss so i don't know it just feels it feels wrong to just like put a dog down because she's an inconvenience to me. You see what I'm saying? Like, I feel like a lot of people do that. My aunt did that to her dog. Like she had kids and her dog was getting old. And I remember her taking it to the vet to be put down. I was like, oh, so wait, what's what's wrong with the dog? And she's like, oh, he's just old. And I was like, oh, so 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 nothing. So there's nothing wrong with the dog. You just You just don't want to take care of it anymore. So when you're old, what you're saying is, <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I res- I respect dogs like a. I'm even more so actively taking a more animist approach to life. Um, I've kind of always been that way, but dogs, when you have kids and you you already have a dog, but like people want to pawn a dog off on us all the time and i'm like we can't take care of a dog i'm not going to accept this dog because i don't treat it like a piece of property i'm not just going to be like yeah that didn't work out so we took it to the to the pound like i'm not going to do that i'm going to have to take care of this dog for the rest of its life exactly that's the that's the thing i don't know if you can hear it on the recording folks but while i'm bleaching and cleaning up piss from my wood floors which kelby informed me that they're made out of wood i was like <laughs> i was like Kelby, what kind of floor is this it kind of looks like wood it's got like ridges on it and he's like that's wood i was like ah right 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 <laughs> uh, but while i'm cleaning it up my son starts to yell at me because his abc show went to commercial that is the life of a of a father <laughs> i got a geriatric dog running around pissing on stuff and then the kid's like hey but what about me but it's good. Yeah. It's made me. It's made me stronger than, I think, literally nine, mentally stronger than ninety five percent of the population. It's weird when people don't have kids. Their yeah. thought processes. I'm just like, and I'm not saying like you know. There's a lot of people you don't need kids. Yeah, for sure. But it's just it's frustrating when people don't get it. Yeah. Like I was telling the story of what happened the other day or just yesterday just last night on the road coming back from san antonio Mm -hmm. it was just me and my son in the back seat and if you don't have 
kids, you don't really understand the weight of like, so like this, it's like a car cut me off for no reason, like passed me up aggressively. We're both just getting onto the highway, right? Like we're just merging onto the highway. It passes me up all aggressively, like, you know, cuts me off real quick to be sure that like, hey, fuck you. And then flips me the bird. I'm like, the hell did, uh, I don't, we went from a podunk little, like, mm-hmm. one of those sundown towns going 30 miles an hour, now onto the interstate, going into, like, just stretches of farmland, and I'm like, what, uh, okay, so, but then, he's, he keeps slowing down, mm-hmm. as if he wants me to catch up, right. and I'm like, what the fuck is this now, I ain't, I ain't playing with this shit, because I've, I've got my kid in the back seat, so I immediately... I am strapped always. Yeah, same. Y'all don't. Y'all, I'm mm-hmm. the last motherfucker y'all want to pull up on. Yeah. I. Uh, you got to keep a gun in like, the car. I had at it. Least. I had it in the glove box. Mm-hmm. I pulled it out and chambered one and kept it in my lap. Mm-hmm. And then I sent my geolocation to Erica, and well, I was trying to, but it was sending my exact location mm-hmm. and not following me. So I was like, oh, what the fuck? So like, I called her and put her on speaker. I was like, hey, I'm about to like. Uh, go to prison i'm trying to like mm-hmm. <laughs> i'm gonna just mm-hmm. talk you through that because that was my thing i was like how do i get rowan home yeah. was my concern because we're on this stretch and i'm like i don't know what to do mm-hmm. it's getting dark it's like i can't turn off we're not in the city where i can just i'm gonna skip a few blocks i'm gonna go the back way this and that right, right, right. it's like we're on the interstate now mm-hmm. and this dude wants me to catch up to him mm-hmm. and i'm like I don't know what to do here. So as soon as I pull up on him, as soon as we catch up, I'm fi- I'm blasting through the window. Mm-hmm. I'm firing the fuck away mm-hmm. until the clip's empty. I'm not gonna look for what he looks like. I'm not gonna like wait for him to draw something. I ain't got time for that shit. We're just in San Antonio where a crazy ass cop like killed or tried to kill somebody in McDonald's. Mm-hmm just because he saw his car oh i I saw that video dude that shit was fucking bonkers yeah he was like you're the car that ran away from me the other day and he runs up on this dude eating a cheeseburger and when the dude is like what the fuck and tries to drive off he like shoots him three times through the car i'm like no no you can't play with people Mm -hmm. especially people who have kids because that kid is like i ain't scared of prison but you will not like i'll deal with that shit afterwards Mm So, I'm going to just make sure that he lives. So this guy cuts you off. He See, and it must have been something like that cop. He must have thought you were somebody else or somebody who did something to him way back. Because what, what do you have, a hatchback? Yeah, it was like a little white. That was another issue was like I didn't want to get too close and see what kind of car it was mm-hmm. like. You know, because I was trying to maintain that distance because we were coming up on, like, some stop signs and this and that, and I was like... And there's still nowhere to turn off. So I didn't want to meet him at... My thing is, I always think of line of fire. Mm-hmm. And if I'm parallel with him, I'm a blast. Mm-hmm. But if I'm, like, behind him and he decides to get out or something, if he fires when he gets out, my kid is in the back seat. I don't... Like, he could catch a bullet. Mm-hmm. So like what happened in Florida. I'm trying to I'm trying to not stop near this guy. I'm trying to keep a distance away from him and it's getting dark. I'm like, fuck, I can't unless I turn my brights on, I can't even read his license plate. 
and I'm not going to turn yeah. my brights on and make the shit situation more aggressive, you know? Yeah, like right, right, right. Yeah, that that's what happened in Florida. Two guys got into a road rage incident, and they start shooting at each other, and neither of them gets hit, but each of their daughters got hit. Like, one in the back, like, collapsed her lung, and then another one got shot in the leg. Both daughters lived, but, you know, both those dudes are going to jail forever. Because, you know, I mean... The road rage shit is getting so crazy. Back when I was a kid and, you know, crazy, bro, I would honk and flip the bird. I'd hang out the window, be like, what the fuck are you doing? Like, my road rage was out of control. And now I'm the most zen motherfucker on the road ever because, like, the last thing I did was I got cut off all crazy, kind of like what you're talking about, and I honked, right? And the same fucking shit happened to me, right? Car, like, slams on its brakes whips around so that it's you know in line with my car and i see this fucking crazy juggalo dude who's just like looking at me he's like whoa what the fuck and then there was this other time i was at a stoplight right there's a lot of construction by where i live and uh i was behind this this uh truck that had a bunch of pallets on it so i couldn't see the light uh, making a left turn so they make a left turn and i see like oh shit the light is just like solid red and my dumb ass was you know kind of pulled out into the intersection so I'm like, okay, I just got to back up a little bit. There's a car directly behind me, but then the third car actually left about a car length of space because they could they could see the issue. You know what I mean? Um, mm -hmm. So I'm backing up, and then this dude just like lays on his horn. And so I roll down my window. I'm like, hey, I need to back up. Can you back up a little bit? I don't say please. I'm not trying to make it sound like I was, you know, cordial. I was like, I need you to back up. And this uh, little Asian kid behind me, he's like double middle fingers he's like fuck you fuck you fuck and i'm like dude what's going like what's going on with people and that reminds me a lot of cure there's a great scene at the beginning of cure where takabe goes to pick up his dry cleaning and he's standing next to the salaryman man salaryman and um salaryman but uh <laughs> he's standing there and the salaryman's like he hands the guy's ticket the guy goes back to get his clothes and the salaryman's like you fucking bitch cunt you fucking fuck. I fucking hate these fucking people. Yeah. And then the 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 guy comes back and hands him his stuff and he's like, Domo, 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 you know, Domo, like he's all like polite and shit. Yeah, yeah. But like he's just like, he's steaming, right? And that's kind of, I think, what the, like the cure of the title is, is like people are being cured of this like suppressed rage by taking it out on other people. You know what I mean? Like they're, right. mommy is helping them to, well, in his mind, he's helping them to become their their true selves, which is obviously something, in his mind, closer to just animal impulse. Like, somebody bothers you, you shoot him in the head. You carve him up, you know? Uh, but that really, that scene in particular really resonated for me because I feel like after COVID, especially, everybody's just got this simmering rage, you know? And the economy's starting to tank and the news is always bad there's you know, talk about like nuclear war and shit people are on social media arguing and sharing memes and i think people just go out into the world pissed in a way that they they certainly weren't pissed like that in 1997 but you know fast, fast forward to 2022 and it's like it just it feels tense out there bro yeah yeah literally in the world of the movie it's like well, the cure is to, you know, go kill somebody. But, like, he's trying to get them to the point of being honest with themselves. 
And that's why the detective, like you said, he is honest with himself. He says straight up, like, my wife is a big burden. Like, I love her, and that's why it's like, I try to keep my family life and my work life separate, because they're just two different... He, he's like, it's too much to, to deal with. And other people, like, have this suppressed, like yeah what i really want is to carve a dude up because right, right. i was always told i wasn't supposed to be here because i'm a woman or whatever mm -hmm. and so when you get purified and honestly she gets hypnotized by water too yeah she does so he tells her his theory on her and she doesn't deny and she's mesmerized by water so when you come to when you confront the reality of, of who you are and who you are in this context is kind of like you're defined by your struggle when you acknowledge that and you own that the only way for you to be purified is by water mm -hmm. mm. that's interesting there's no burning there's no burning rage there you're you're pure mm. mm-hmm her her murder the murder that she does is particularly nasty too it's in a public toilet she's got the x on the guy's throat and she like lifts the top flap of skin up and just degloves the guy's face i was really shocked by that level of gore in this movie which is how they do yeah, it yeah cuz it gets it gets brutal mm -hmm. but go ahead oh no that's i mean like there's that there's the the fucking monkey sacrifice thing it's these images in an otherwise uh, you know, not oh, this is not a Takashi Miike movie, right? There's not there's no. not crazy shit going on every every second of the thing. It's it's mostly just if it weren't for some of the more extreme gore scenes, it'd probably honestly be like a PG thirteen movie. But you just see, see these kind of shocking images, and it's it's really disturbing. Yeah, that that scene was just incredible makeup effects and a great jarring because it's just that same level of distance and she's just there on the ground and then the way this movie looks there's no branding anywhere mm. like there's no uh there's no logos it's all kind of just it keeps you in the moment because you can't tell what like i thought for some reason that this movie was made in like the mid 2000s mm-hmm and then I was like, why does it look like the 70s? How'd they do this? Right. And then I misread and thought that it was 1977. I was like, oh, it was made in the 70s. And then I got corrected to it's actually, it came out in 97. But that's just my point is it's a timeless mood. Like the way that it looks mm -hmm. is timeless. Yeah. So it's just, it's also hypnotizing in the way that you're like, you don't know when this is. I agree. I think that, uh, especially the cafe that he's in at the end that has a real like timeless feel to it i do like what you said yeah there is no real there's no branding in the movie people are always drinking coffee out of paper cups and eating microwave meals when was the micro microwave was like the 50s right when that was invented yeah uh or the yeah i think so but yeah no it's definitely got this this out of time feeling to it which some some movies do really well i used to be really uh, with my writing, I used to try to do that a lot, have no brands, because the thought process was like, oh, it'll age it. So when people are going back through your oeuvre, when you're 
a hundred years dead, they'll be like, oh, this is really dated because he mentions, you know, the fleshlight or whatever. And, uh, and that's the Doctor Who mug the Doctor and, Who. and God's Fair No Better. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the Doctor Who mug. But it's like, yeah, I mean, you go back, you read like uh, it's I've been reading a lot of cyberpunk um, because of my cyberpunk series. I was like, I should probably familiarize myself with the genre. And there's a lot of good shit. But in uh, Rudy Rucker's Wear Tetralogy, it's just, it's so interesting to read something that somebody wrote in the 70s, and it's like their version of cyberpunk. So there's, you know, they have no concept like we do now of how technology, uh, how our technology works. So it's like just a modified update on 70s technology. I think it's interesting. I think it's like an interesting relic of its time. And when the writing's good, who gives a shit? Bless you. You got another one? You got... Yeah. Bless you. No, you're making up. You're making up fantasy worlds, anyways. Yeah. It's just it. It is interesting to view certain times through that different lens. The future of the '70s is different than the future of the '90s. And... Yeah, yeah. And I, I dig. Uh, I dig. I'm getting more and more into the cyberpunk aesthetic because I bought uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which put me at ease about Dying World because I was like, oh, this is. This is like the retarded version of cyberpunk, you know? Like this is clear like they named their city Night City. Uh they go they go from uh like uh, Japan town to Little China to Kabuki. Uh the club is called Afterlife. I'm like this is low effort, man. But it's cool. You know, I'm not I'm not hating on it. I'm just saying that it's it's low effort and I it's it can kind of put you at ease, right? Like you want your influences to be strong, but I mean, there's some some people out there who are just, you know, I'm comfortable enough in my sexuality to admit that they're better than me, uh, like smarter than me at least. And uh, like, I'm not a mathematician like Rudy Rucker was, but you can just you can just vibe on the aesthetics too. You got to realize that like different perspectives are interesting too. Mm-hmm. Like it's the the rap thing like one of those things with a uh, earl and this is before earl sweatshirt was doing like the jazzy rap shit that he does now uh-huh. the like spoken word like uh yeah the like po poetic uh jazz shit when he was doing the um you know sort of horrorcore but really also poetic the like poetic horrorcore yeah like uh I'm the I'm the son of a gifted poet, but I listen to ICP type shit. Yeah, the poet he, uh, laureate of uh, what was it Nigeria or something? His dad was. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. He said in an interview one time that he was glad that like people like Kendrick Lamar were doing what they were doing because he could do what he was doing. Mm, yeah. And that like that acknowledgement that honestly that segment of that interview uh, stuck with me. To be like, oh, whenever I look at somebody and I'm like, fuck, wow. I can never do that. It's like, well, no, the perspective is I'm glad they're doing that so I don't have to do that. Bro, that's such good advice. I hope everybody listened to that. Like, stop comparing yourself to other people and just be grateful that they did that thing. You know, mine is like the, in typical JDO style, it's like this first book, is it's a little disjointed. It's a little uh, mysterious, kind of underdescribed. There's, there's weird magic and shit going on. And it's kind of like, you know, I'm not making Blade Runner because Blade Runner already exists, you know? And instead of 
comparing myself to Blade Runner or Philip K. Dick or William Gibson or any of these guys, right? I'm sure there's some girls that did it too, and congratulations to them. But instead of comparing myself to these guys, like, just be like, no, that it, it already exists. Why would you do it? Why would you try to? It's not a competition, basically. Yeah, and the like capital A art shit too of being like, well, that's too pulpy or whatever. I love acknowledging the like the and this show got me to this point where shit that I think is cool is just really cool. Like, why don't I try to kind of sort of simulate like take my inspirations, things I think are badass, and sort of do my version of that. Yeah exactly and the trick is like because i'm so anti-formulated like artificially written and i don't i don't even mean literally artificially written like by an ai i mean the like sort of algorithmically kicked out bullshit like pretty much most i'll say most because movies are starting to come back it seems like oh yeah it seems like there's some good shit like they're they're back but for a while there it was just this focus grouped like uh it's like this shit was written in a day by a by an algorithm of just like 12 people hey you do the the beginning and it's gonna you hit the right beats and then you hit the right beats for the middle and then you come up with the the characters and you make the checklist for the diversity shit and then let's kick this shit out uh and slap some superheroes on it so people buy it and like i'm against that so that's not the well of influence i mean but like the first step is acknowledging when you already have a voice you already have your own style you can do your version of whatever you want exactly exactly and it's like if i do indiana jones it's not oh he's just trying to rip off indiana jones it's like no it's gonna be like so much different than indiana jones but that's where i took it from yeah and i think that you should obviously take whatever inspirations you want and just rip them off completely shamelessly which is what i did you know i'm not worried about it it's like oh i like that idea i'm gonna take that oh i like that kind of setting i'm gonna take that too because again it's a long you follow any artist that you really like and their their first projects are mostly just homage and pastiche of things that they like and some people never even move beyond that Quentin Tarantino I mean he's still just kind of doing things that he that he liked that he wanted to put back onto the the screen and give a bigger platform to like I watched Lady Snowblood because of Kill Bill right because everybody's like this is just Lady Snowblood I was like all right bet I'll go watch that and I like them both but yeah I mean it's I don't even know how we got off on this topic I'm just I'm so deep into the writing right now and it's uh consume such a big part of my life i actually have a bunch of editing that i have to do but i keep writing instead so eventually one of those (laughs) y'all need to go out and buy my fucking book when it comes out so i can just do that for a living uh because i because they're good and i and i want to have the the monetary backing so i can show my wife like hey i can actually uh, make some money doing this because if i don't make any money she's gonna be like okay like that was cute, but <laughs> you need to go. That's another revelation: is making the money. Mm-hmm. It's like you have to, uh, you have to make money. I used to be cool with just uh, 
and it was cool when it made sense mm-hmm. to just have a a job that had nothing to do with art and i could do whatever i wanted mm-hmm. um but that also didn't challenge me because if i just stayed doing whatever i wanted mm-hmm. I think the shit that I'm writing now is better than anything I've written before, better than any idea I've come up with before. Right. And it's because I, I've grown up past the, oh, sell out, like, type of mindset, and I want to make money, yeah. and I know my voice, so I'm actually writing really cool shit. Yeah, and, I mean, that's the that's the dream right i mean a lot of people have that dream and it's one of those things where we've got to we've got to prove it first it's one of it's the hardest part i have tried to do patreon a few times by the way subscribe to the agitator patreon kelby's running it so you know that shit is actually legit um but i've tried to do i've tried to do (laughs) patreon before and the problem that i always got to is it's double the work but you've got like you know 15 patrons or something like that you know what i mean and so i would get burnt out because i'd be like damn i'm putting out all this fucking free shit like for the jdo show back when i was doing that i would do a bonus interview every week and i kept that shit up for 10 fucking weeks it's a long time to do that shit but it only it'll i think i got up to like 25 patrons right and it's like 25 25 so yeah it's like it's like 125 bucks minus all the fees and shit like that yay that was so much fun but it's just not worth it you know what i mean like you're putting in like an extra seven or eight hours of work every month for 125 bucks but with something like writing you know the model that we have now because i've been uh i should probably tell the podcast audience i've been doing this newsletter called bestseller and y'all should all go subscribe to that shit I'll put a link in the show notes. It's brbjdo.substack.com. And I've been studying the bestseller model of, of fiction because there are people who work outside of the publishing industry, self-published people. A lot of them are romance. and that, But I think the actual best-selling genre is, is actually mystery crime thriller. Um, but these people write like insane. You know, I'd be listening to podcasts with people who write, you know, one guy wrote 13 books in two years. Another guy wrote like 25 books over the course of, I think, three years. Uh, They do this series model where they just pump out book after book after book after book because there are readers out there, but readers want a lot of bang for their buck. So Kelby and I initially uh, had this mindset of, you know, novellas and novellas are still tight. I got nothing against novellas, but we're starting to realize that we have to meet the market halfway and actually put out just a ton of shit because I think that where a lot of writers get stuck is that they don't realize that in our oversaturated media climate right now, what a fan of yours or a reader of yours wants is to get completely lost in your work for, for hours at a time. Like they don't, if you just come out with something like I come out with like a little bullshit like book and it, it doesn't sell, right? And it's like because people know that like well I'm not if, if I'm only gonna be spending thirty minutes on this, like why do it at all? So I think that it's counterintuitive because we tend to think of people as having short attention spans and wanting to jump from one thing to the next, but 
people will play a fucking 80 hour video game like Elden Ring so I think that it's actually just like it has to look like a good investment did any of that make any fucking sense at all yeah yeah no I've been thinking about it for a lot of reasons the different some of the reading we've done on this show like with Ryu Murakami if you just write novellas you gotta write like a hundred novellas so that people have this giant ouvoir to like go through because they want to spend time in a certain world yeah like you as a as a as a creator are inviting somebody to hang out in the world that you've created and that's what they want to do is it's that level of investment like you said it's like well it's just going to be like a wham bam thank you ma'am like thing in the back of a van and then i'm just and then that's it you know it's you got to create this intimacy and what else made me think of that oh doing uh audiobook narration like some audiobooks call for the way that i do narration is project by project like i have i have a rate based on word count that's like kind of what an hour equals up to but if i'm doing like a motivational thing like a business book i can talk fast like the pacing is different because i'm kind of like yelling at you i'm motivating you but like if i'm doing a story especially something like as elegiac as like uh something as paced out as either god's leftovers like by grant womack or like with eddie's uh glossolalia it's got these like ominous moments where you got to slow the pace down so even though i think god's leftovers is like 60 pages but the audiobook was like over two hours and and when i like those made me think of it whenever i send it to like to grant to eddie and the other people that i've like worked with they get it and they're like damn i wrote this this is good mm-hmm. and it's because you're hearing it it's stretched out a little bit more yeah yeah like it is because i'm really good at what i do and if you need vocal services you should reach out and hire me but it's the shifting of the medium to stretch it out a bit more too to give it more space and this goes back to what we've talked about on the show before that when we say things like oh we're retarded what we mean is we're we're searching for answers because nobody really knows what they're talking about people in people in big publishing don't know they're constantly well they do know right they know which books are going to be their breadwinners and we tell you it's not the fucking you know coming of age tale that you've been working on for the past five years it's just it's not going to do it and if you want to do it (laughs) for your own reasons then i think that's great i never want to discourage people from making art but if you have a mindset of you know i want to be a writer well, that's like, that's like saying I want to be, you know, I want to open an outdoor sporting equipment store, but I'm only gonna sell backpacks, right? And it's like, okay, well, <laughs> it sounds like you might have a backpack company. It might not be a perfect fit for, because you know you got other stuff that you might. Bad metaphor, but like the idea is that. No, that's actually great. The last episode of Atlanta, uh-huh. they go to meet this dude, this uh, shoe guy. Mm-hmm. And he's in, he's in a van in a parking lot, and uh, Ern is like asking it. He's like, "So this is like legit?" And Darius is like, "Yeah, that's why they call him the shoe guy. He's kind of like the sock guy, but for shoes." <laughs> and Ern is like, "But the sock guy actually had a store. This is a van in a parking lot." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so exactly. I, actually, yeah, you say in the backpack store. That's that's funny. I need to catch up on that. But yeah, it's like, it's the point that I was trying to make is that like, you know, do what you want to do. But if you want to actually make a career out of it, it's probably important to start studying what it is that people actually like about the medium that you're working in. You know what I mean? 
but it's all it's all phases right like i don't want to shit on anybody either for you know going through the exact same phases that i went through in terms of you know having to figure out like oh well i'm going to do 100% that's one thing that i really disagreed with rick rubin in that joe rogan interview where he said you know you have to just follow your passion and i'm like yeah dude that worked out for you because you got lucky you were literally you just got done saying that you were in the right place at the right time and yes you did follow your passion but it was also kind of like you sort of won the lottery you know a little bit of column a a little bit of column b you have to keep your passion you have to know yeah you have to know who you are Mm -hmm. like the detective and cure Mm -hmm. and you have to sometimes you just got to keep them separate you know yeah i love i love my wife my passion Mm -hmm. And I have to show up to work. Yeah. And and then where the roads meet, whenever, you know, you're able to merge the two together, you know, because a lot of these, like, whenever people try to understand movies, which is something I'm not interested in whatsoever, because mm-hmm. uh, they try to understand what it is that happened. Uh-huh. I'm like, this is a very, one of those kind of Buddhist things where it's like, well, how do you reach enlightenment? You kill your parents you kill your teacher and you kill yourself i don't think buddhists are literally telling you to go kill your parents and kill your teacher and then kill yourself i wish i'd known that before (laughs) i was at the last stage yeah just right at the edge edge. Uh, wish you had told me that two steps prior (laughs) the uh the the wife thing i think you just stumbled on the perfect metaphor for art because you love your wife i love my wife and but there are things that you have to do that you don't love to make sure that they keep loving you you know what i mean like i I love her but if if i didn't pay my bills if i didn't take care of my kid if i you know if i only wanted to just like do the things that i like like watch movies have sex eat food eventually that relationship she'd be like damn this fool just he eats sleeps fucks and plays video like and that's it like he's not he's not doing the maintenance that's required to keep this relationship going and i think that's what a lot of people get into right a lot of people just want to continue doing the things that they love with the person that they love and they neglect the the work that has to go into it and so art's the same way it's like do I love writing like a character's internal monologue? No, it's not my favorite thing, but readers like it. So if I want readers to follow me to the part, you know, where that I ripped off from Dead or Alive, where a guy gets his stomach exploded and a bunch of food comes out, I gotta, I gotta do that initial part, right? Because uh-huh. they're not gonna stick uh-huh. with me just a hundred percent. Welcome to my playground. Let's do everything that I want to do. Everybody has a friend who's like that back when you were kids it was always what they wanted to do 100 percent. and you were just like well damn i mean he's got a playstation which is tight he's got a cool guitar that's tight but do i really want to be you know under his dictatorship for two hours so i can play the playstation and play the guitar like no it's not worth it yeah yeah do do i love rerouting the plumbing in my bathroom to to build a vanity that makes more sense for us in this tiny ass bathroom like no no do i do i love sanding the wood like i like that part i like designing the cabinet Mm -hmm. 
I like having the thing finished. Yeah. There's parts along the way that I enjoy, but I have to do all of it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's not a finished product. Mm-hmm. And that's just kind of like, I mean, Kira's, uh, you know, Kira, Kira's a good example of this too because, you know, there are scenes in there that I'm sure Kurosawa wasn't as hyped about. I mean, do you really think it's as fun to shoot a long dialogue scene as it is to shoot, like, you know, the detective going into the lair and finding the fucked up monkey? Like, probably not. Probably. What are you doing? You just losing it? Is it time for Daddy to hang up the podcast? Might be about that time, bro. We might be getting to... Gus says it's time. Yeah. Are you hungry? Oh, you're hungry? Yeah, come on. Hold on, let me get you, uh... Let me get you some yogurt melts. Let me get you a snack. Well, we dropped a bunch of gold on this episode. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Agitator Patreon. Uh, okay, Bubba, I got you. Hire David for editing shit. Yeah, hire me for editing hire shit. Hire me if you need a voice. I have a lot of voices. This isn't my only voice. And we're both extremely, extremely good at what we do, despite being retarded. Reliable and talented individuals. Also, really fast at communicating. <laughs> Yeah. How? Not 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 if you're just a, a random. Mm-hmm. A lot of people be like, this nigga don't ever text me back. I'm like, yeah, bitch, because I'm working. Yeah. If you want to talk money, I'm a very fast communicator. Money in Japanese film. Here, have some of this. I know you like those. Oh, you want to play with the coffee thing? He loves playing with these Keurig cups, man. He's crazy about these Keurig cups. One time I caught him, though, he had bitten into it. <laughs> He looked up at me, and he's like, Bleh! and he had all these coffee grounds in his mouth. I was like, that's, that's probably not good. But I think he learned his lesson. I'm learning with this kid. Like, this dude has just got, he's got to learn stuff on his own. I started off my fatherhood journey being a little bit too much of a helicopter, you know, trying to keep him from injuring himself and shit like that. But then I started realizing that he doesn't understand, he doesn't know why I keep telling him to like, not do this and not do that. So it just makes me look like kind of a dick. So short of, you know, stuff that's gonna be really injurious, like playing with a light socket or whatever, I just let him figure it out, you know? And he'll fall on his ass and be like, that sucked. And I'm like, mm-hmm, yeah, sucks, huh? Maybe you, uh, maybe take my advice next time. 